Welcome to the Financial Liberty Podcast. Until you wake up from the American dream, financial uncertainty will be your American reality. Join Sam Legaspi and Ko Sukamoto and their guests as they explore how you can attain financial liberty by uncovering truths that have been kept secret for decades. Have you ever played a game and didn't know the rules? How can you ever win? Learn the rules to the game and in turn, learn how to win. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to the Financial Liberty Project with Sam Legaspi and Ko Sukamoto. Today, gentlemen, what are we talking about? We're talking about some good stuff today. You know, we got a great show. Good and stuff. Very That's general. Original. That's very, very <laughs> general. I like that. Yes. I yes. like that. It's a good. Can we, can we get a little bit more, spe- <laughs> a little more specific, please? Yeah. <laughs> a show okay. where I get to the roast Sam all the way through, right? Start. <laughs> get it. All right, stuff. How's it going, Coz? Stuff master. <laughs> what, 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 what all right. All right. Move along, Sam. What do we got for how's our it, show today? So how's it going? How's it going? Well, we got we got an interesting show today. We actually have a very, very interesting show. Always We've got a lot of statistics. We've got a lot more more retirement dream type drama. And really, it's just, you know, we're going to talk about and we're going to see if we can get through these seven facts of uh, stealth things that can destroy the retirement vision. You know, and, and, and many times because we talk about a lot of this things yeah. that, were, that that can step up and, and, and jack someone's retirement up, right? But I got to tell you, I mean, there's also the obvious, but there's also the not so obvious, you know, I mean, uh, so I think we covered it. Not so obvious ones. Yeah, this one's the not so obvious ones. All right. so but, you know, you know, I wanted to actually start, though, because as you know, we get a lot of people that, you know, from time to time, they they reach out to us and we're in workshops. They we have a we have a, a questionnaire that people have. And, and I actually ran into one. And I think we better answer this guy's questionnaire pretty quickly because it's it's something that that should concern some people. So this guy, Gerald, he's from Corona, and uh, he says he works two jobs. I enjoy my second job, but I must admit that it adds to an extra 20 hours a week of work on top of my 40 at my main job. That's 60 hours, I guess, Gerald. I'm working, but seem to keep going around in circles and can't gain control of my expenses. Recently, a financial guy said that I need to stop working my second job to enhance my quality of life. I'd like to spend more time with my wife. But if I can get a hold of my expenses with two jobs, how can I, how can I, how can I with just one? Well, that's an interesting question. So he's addicted to the income of having two jobs, right? And also he's addicted to the expenses that he can't gain control of. Well, that's why, that's where his addiction comes from is have, he's got, he's got expenses that he has to uh, service. So, you know, it's interesting. So he, he can quit that second job. And then that's going to force him to drop some expenses. You know, he, you know he's going to take some bumps on the head. But um, you know what? If you have an absence of income, you have no choice but to drop some expenses. It might be, you know, the monthly beer tab. <laughs> you know, having to, you know, you have to drop the country club membership or something like that. But yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of times people say, "Well, I've got to cut expenses," and then you know, and then maybe I'll back off on the second job, but. Heck, you know, sometimes you just got to take the bull by the horn, just lose the job, and then you go home and start cutting out all the expenses. And in one week, you can be right back to where the 40 the forty hour job can handle all the expenses, but yeah, not going to the country club anymore. 
You know, from that, from that standpoint, yeah. I mean, if, you know, the guy, he's, he, he said he spoke to a financial guy that says that he should stop working a second job to enhance his quality of life. But I'm looking at it. I mean, the one thing here, Gerald, which maybe you can follow up with us if we see you again or reach out to us and follow up, but just out of curiosity, uh, where are you with regards to your retirement? And uh, I'll, I'll tell you, if you have a second job and you're really behind the eight ball as far as having enough money saved and, and being so far away from being able to wake up and not have to worry about money, then you know you may want to do what Coe's indicated, which is suck it up and actually keep working that second job so you can keep putting some more money away for your retirement so you can actually enjoy time with and have quality life in the last one third of your life. So uh, th- that's another thing. And, and th- that's the data codes that we don't necessarily have is, is yeah, he has a lot of expenses right now. Uh, it appears that he can't gain control of his expenses, which seems to be the tone that a lot of people are currently going through. They can't get a hold of their own expenses. You know why? Because they don't have a budget, man. You know, they, they don't just get out a piece of paper. How hard is it to make a budget, dude, really? I would say it takes, um, it's, it's simple. It takes, what, about maybe half an hour. I mean, you can literally have a budget in half an hour. How? Go to your bank, see if they have a download option on the website where you can download your expenses for the last one to X number of months. And they already have them categorized in, in a lot of cases. And you just download, download them to a spreadsheet and you can see how you're spending in the, in the period of one month. And then you can take that over more months if you want, but it's, it's, it, it'll give you an idea. And it's very simple. Half yeah. That's all it takes. It's pretty easy, right? So, so he has all these expenses, and uh, he's 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 out of control, and and I, I think it just comes back down to what we what we preach, and that is you know not too bad in society where we're not taught at a very early age and through the school system how to learn how to budget, and because here it is, you got all these Fortune five hundred companies, they operate from a budget, they know well in advance over the next twelve to eighteen to two years, and it's called a pro forma what their potential revenue earnings and, and what the financial health of that company is going to be. So I figure, well, you should be able to go ahead and see where you're going to be in two years. So I, I think Gerald, um, you know, pr- provide us with more information. Uh, Cause I'd probably say, Hey, stick at, stick at your second job unless you already won the game. And unless you already have, you know, a good amount of income or a good amount of assets in your retirement war chest that will last you for the rest of your life. If not beyond it, if not, Keep that second job, man. Get a hold of that those expenses, dude, and do yourself a favor and start budgeting. You and your wife really need to go ahead and start listening to more of our podcasts out here and and learn how to to get control of your finances. That's what we're all about, right, Coach? Absolutely, absolutely. Get control. Yeah, yeah. So that was yeah. a good. That was a good one. Yeah, you know, while like, we're at it, I got another one here. Okay, but I was just say it's not like you have to do it a budget every month. You just, you know, just do it once. It gives you an idea where you're at and then maybe re, you know, do another snapshot uh, a few months down the road just to, you know, kind of get a better idea where you're at. But it doesn't take, doesn't take, doesn't take much time. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. All right. So what, 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 what else we got next here, Sam? Well, we got, we got Teresa from Newport beach. Teresa. Yeah, she wants to know, I heard you guys talk about pensions before and that they're not to be relied on necessarily. I have a pension and it's been paying me for the past 15 years since I retired. So what gives? (laughs) (laughs) What gives? What gives? Oh, wow. Hmm. Okay. Uh, All right. You want to answer that? Goes? (laughs) Goes to say no, no. 
So let's go ahead and read that again because uh, I just read it and I'm like, going to, the what gives part kind of like threw me off. I heard you guys talk about pensions before and that they're not to be relied on necessarily. I have a pension and it's been paying me for the past 15 years since I retired. So what gives? Well, what gives, Teresa, is that we're in a society now where uh, unfortunately pensions not, aren't necessarily a, a thing that, that people get nowadays. As a matter of fact, when you get a job, more than likely all you have is a 401k plan. And uh, that's really it. You might be lucky enough to get an ESOP and depending on where you are and what kind of role you have with the company, you could very well have some stock options too. But for the most part, I'd probably say that uh, pensions are a thing of the past. And that's what we basically meant is that you're not necessarily going to be receiving a pension, whatever company you might be with going forward. But at the same time, the thing that really concerns us about a lot of these pensions is that you, you sometimes got to be careful. You got to be careful because you got to remember pensions aren't your money. It's money that's set aside by corporations for the benefit of you and just understand that the company can always well I can't terms they Mm -hmm. can they can change the terms they can they can pay you less they can stop paying you they can go bankrupt Um, state of Ohio has a lot of problems right now along those lines we right Sam we know I won't mention the name of the company but we know of a a major company here and it's, it's nationwide I'll just say, go so far as to say it's a utility company where their pension uh, just a few years ago had to be re-subsidized, I guess is the word. They had to infuse capital from another part of their company that was profitable just to keep the pension alive. That's a scary thought, but that's what happens quite frequently. And so if you think that you've got a lifetime income through a pension, you know, hopefully you do, but there's no guarantee that that pension is going to continue to pay out for the rest of your life. You know, some bad stuff can go down. So you got to just be aware of that. Oh, a lot of bad stuff can go down. I mean, I'm forgetting some of the, the cities in California here. I mean, take a look at, uh, you know, you take a look at Detroit, man. Detroit's the largest city in the United States ever to file for bankruptcy, right? And I think the previous record was held by Stockton, California. Oh, yeah. Good old Stockton. Oh, yeah. I remember that. I mean, you think about it, if you were a municipal worker, you were, you were a police officer, a fireman, and you had a pension with Stockton, city of Stockton, you may be on the short end of that stick, depending on the length of service and when you actually retired. So there's a lot of things, Teresa. And you know, I got a question for you, Sam. Are, yeah. Help people understand. I've met a lot of people that believe that the pension that they think they're supposed to get is money that they control, they own. And I don't think that's quite true. I think pensions are... The ownership belongs to somebody else, right? Can you explain that a little bit? The ownership belongs to someone else. You mean right? The- so it's 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 belong it belongs to the company that that has the pension. A lot of people that work for companies think that they they own that money. No, they don't. Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting the history behind pensions. It's 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 actually you know there's folklore about it, and some of the folklore is uh, Teamsters from many years ago. Unions were all set up, and and they created these pensions. You know, like uh, you know, what would transpired is that a lot of these corporations created a pension and said, "Hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to put some money aside for you." But deep down inside, they realized that you weren't going to be, you know, retiring from that company for a good 30, 35 years. So they can put money aside for you, quote unquote, for you for the next 30, 35 years, but you're not going to touch it. Meanwhile, they can go ahead and take that money that they supposedly put away for you. And you multiply that by the thousands of employees that they have, and they've got a coffer filled with money that potentially they can go ahead and buy, you know, their own things with, like maybe casinos and stuff, you know. <laughs> and, and and so, 
what transpired is that ultimately, you know, these groups were approached and they were said, hey, you know what? It's interesting. You you got these, you know, literally billions of dollars in these coffers for people that are going to be retiring in several years in the future. But, you know, it's interesting is that you're supposedly managing this money for these people because you're managing these money for these people. Technically, you are an investment company, otherwise known as a mutual fund, or you can be classified as an investment company, which means that you've got to start reporting some of this data. And some of these companies didn't necessarily want to report some of the data that they were compiling. Uh, and so what ended up happening is that that started pushing pensions away. And, and but, but the other part too, Coase, is that what you indicated just about, what, two, three minutes ago is that, you know, yeah, there was a lo- very large company, Teresa, not long ago, whose uh, mother company had to uh, fulfill and, and actually contribute a very large amount of stock, like you said, Coase, to that, to that underfunded pension plan. And, and I'd probably guess to say, Coase, that that company, if that was made public, it was actually made public, you just got to hunt for it. But if that was made more aware, you know, if we were made more aware as a general society, it would probably be dynamically problematic, no? Absolutely. I mean, and, you know, the question a lot of people ask is, you know, if I have an option of taking the lifetime income in the form of a monthly pension benefit or the other choice of taking a lump sum, you know, that's a great question. But, uh, you know, there's no you know, right or wrong answer to it. It's just you've got to be aware of the pitfalls and the and and, and the uh, the pros of of each of those choices. And um, but um, you know you you pick the wrong option, you can you can literally destroy your retirement. You know. Yeah, in what way though, man? Because I think that's something you know we're kind of leading them on. I want to, and that's really important because because I think that uh, a lot of people. A lot of people don't necessarily know that if they chose the wrong option that they could potentially be ruining their legacy. I can't say ruin, that's a bad word, but they can really, you know, do something to their legacy that they didn't, that they weren't intending to do. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll I'll throw out a a real life example. So if you have an option of taking the lifetime pension monthly benefit or taking a lump sum, let's just say the the monthly benefit is, you know, 2000 a month, or you can take $600,000 or just let's make a simple half million dollars um, as a lump sum, which option do you choose? Well, if you're careless with your money, you take the lump sum, you know, and, and you decide to go and you know, turn that into an ATM machine, that half a million is going to be gone in probably about three to four years, you know, if you're, if you're one of those uh, spender type people. So maybe it's better to take the lifetime uh, option. But um, the problem with the lifetime option is, you know, like we said, you could have the pension go bankrupt. Uh, but the other problem is, let's say you're a single parent. And you've got a couple of kids and you pass away early. So you get a couple thousand a month. And let's say you die in six months. You've collected $12,000 in benefits. Well, w- once you die, the rest of that uh, half million dollars or $600,000 in a lump sum doesn't go to your, your kids. It's kept by the company. So basically your family just got, you know, shortchanged uh, almost a half million dollars. It's gone now. That's not a very good deal. So, you know, you got to really like talk to somebody and understand what the options are, but you do the wrong thing. You are, you know, I, I would argue, Sam, that you actually are ruining your legacy. <laughs> yeah. The wrong choices. So. Yeah. You, you, yeah. Yeah. Utilizing the word ruined. Yeah. Because you're right. I mean, how many people have actually chosen the spousal survivor benefit when it came to a pension and they, they go back and say, I wish I didn't do that. Because they didn't necessarily realize that once their spouse um, is gone, once they're gone and their spouse is gone, their two, their one, two, three, your children, you know, that they've uh, <laughs> they've spent their entire lives taking care of, don't get anything. 
Well, and, and there's another aspect to the same thing. So again, the question of whether you take a pension lump sum or a pension monthly benefit. Well, there's rules. I mean, every plan's different, but you know, there are there are usually time limits on how long you have to make that decision. And if you fail to make the decision in time, then they'll make the decision for you. And, and you'll you'll lose you know you'll lose one of the two options. Typically, you lose the option to take the lump sum, and so now you're just stuck with the uh, the monthly the monthly benefit. Right. So that for a lot of people are problematic. But we see people leave companies for whatever reason, and they fail to understand that there's a limit in time that they have to abide by, and they they end up losing the option. And um, you know, it's just sad to see when they discover that when it's too late. Yeah, yeah, and unfortunately, we see that more than more than enough, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's uh. So that's one of the one of the insidious ways, or the the less obvious ways that you can negatively affect your retirement is just not understanding the rules, whether it's rules pertinent to your 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 retirement plan at your company, or whether they're IRS rules or other types of rules. So um, you know, and, and and it's very difficult to be aware of all the rules that you need to know because how do how do you know which rules are important to you or are relevant to your individual case? So that's where. You either have to become very educated, which is hard for most people to do because it takes time. And so a lot of people just need to really understand that they need to align themselves with people who have the expertise and knowledge to keep them in the correct side of the law or the rules. And that's uh, that's really kind of, you know, what the underlying message is, is to find someone. You know, if you're working with a major corporation right now or just some company and you have the ability to attend these workshops that are held on behalf <laughs> of the employees for you. A lot of these companies, they, they provide educational resources. Not all of them, but if you do, if you are lucky enough to be in, affiliated with a, a company that does provide that type of resource, then you should take advantage of it because one, you're, you're educating yourself on, on the information that you definitely need to know about not only the company's retirement, but potentially your retirement. But number two, I think a byproduct of that cause is that you're also in this position where you're actually uh, getting to know that particular individual that's hosting those educational workshops. And if you, let's say you start now and you're only 35 years old, by the time you're 50 and that individual and his company kept on coming, then you've now gained a element of trust. You now understand where this guy's coming from or this gal's coming from and you are able to develop a relationship. And that's really important when it you comes know, to a lot of these. We go through high school, we go through college, we go through whatever we go through in our younger years. And one of the things that are topmost in our minds is finding a soulmate, right? And so we do the dating thing and we get all nervous and we get all giggly and then we find the person that we fall in love with. And that's all great, and 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 hopefully it's a it's a long lasting relationship, you know, into the uh, twilight years. But one of the things that really people should really think about and embrace, in my opinion, is that don't stop looking for that soulmate. Well, you, you know, you find your soulmate, but don't stop to search for finding a different kind of soulmate. And that I would consider uh, a financial soulmate. So. You know, you want to have somebody that has an understanding of all the rules and as the rules change, because they change all the time, whether it's, you know, government rules or IRS rules or just money rules or, you know, company plan rules or whatever rules, you just want to have somebody that can say, look, I'm on top of the rules. I'm going to keep you on a straight and narrow. 
And so, you know, we'll communicate, but I'll be your financial soulmate. <laughs> and so you've got your, your soulmate at home, you've got your financial soulmate outside of the home. And who, who knows, you can always, you can extrapolate that to other kinds of soulmates. Maybe it's a, you know, I don't know if you're like, you have a lot of pets, you want to have a pet expert soulmate. <laughs> <laughs> getting a little ridiculous there, right, Sam? Help me out here. <laughs> How about a hockey soulmate? I'd certainly like to go ahead and have someone just help oh me out my, with hockey. I need a, I need a golf, <laughs> golf swing soulmate, bro. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, there's just so much. There's just so much. But, you know, part, part of what we also wanted to talk about is there was a survey. I was actually just, I was reading this survey. And it was a survey in the, in the group that was surveyed ranged between 60 years old and 79 years old. And the answer, the, the, the questions were, were really cool, but the answers were even more, you know, staggering. And uh, you got to remember that, you know, when, when the survey was taken, uh, the, the areas of the economy that we were under is, is pretty much the same. And that savers, you know, they're, they're dealing with significant college costs. They had a hard time saving. They had rises in housing costs and in rent sluggish wage growth, even though minimum wage went in, uh, went higher. I mean, there's, there's a lot of individuals that didn't necessarily experience uh, an increase in wages. And, uh, and and more and more, we're starting to see people with zero, I mean, zero retirement plans. So, you know, what was interesting, Coase, is that there's 150 million people that are employed. You know me, I, 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 love, I love this demographic stuff. But, you know, there's 150 yeah. million people that are employed in the United States. You want to guess how many million have actually put money away into a retirement plan of some sort of the 150 million people? Oh gosh, I would say, um, I don't yeah, know. give me a number. So 150 million people work, I don't know, is it less than 50? Uh, probably less than 30, 30 million? No, no, I mean, not as bad as 30 million, but 54 million people okay. put away money into a retirement plan. That's, that's bad. That's, that's one third of the working public. Yeah. Now you understand why, I mean, I, you understand why, but the listeners, you guys understand why when we go out there that we're saying that there is a great American retirement crisis coming because two thirds of you are yeah. relying on social security and inheritance to go ahead and make it through the last one third of your lives. That's brutal, man. Well, that's a big burden on the, uh, you know, the, the following generations. I mean, they, they, they've, they've, they're going to have to figure out how to handle the two thirds of the workforce that um, are going to, you know, be ill-equipped to uh, to sustain their living costs when they can no longer physically or mentally work anymore. So what you've got right. people that are either living on the streets or they're 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 in a nursing home supported by taxpayer dollars, and 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 you are one of the people that were you know that you did things right, and you're finding that you have your taxes are going up because you're having to support the other two thirds that were not doing the right things and taking care of themselves. That kind of that kind of bites. No, in a big way. I mean, I think a lot of people talk about the sandwich generation that we're in, right? That we got to take care of our parents and also our kids. But you can pretty much see this. I mean, out of 150 million people that are currently employed with only one third of them putting money away into a retirement plan, you can see that, you know, there's gonna be a tremendous burden, like you said, on their children to go ahead and take care of, you know, the two thirds that that don't have money set aside. I mean, think about this. Think about this, goes. So at 62, at 62, let's just say that the average Social Security that we've been encountering is around $1,800 a month. So we're looking at two-thirds of these people, the 150 million people that are currently employed. They're relying on Social Security more than likely. They've got something coming to them because they only got $1,800 a month that they're going to be receiving for the rest of their lives. And that's a significant, that, that I mean, you know, I'm looking at it, I don't even know if there's any words for it. It's 
it's uh well the the word is it's it's very frightening i mean yeah, what are we jacked what, up <laughs> what do we do as a country i mean we're gonna have to deal with it and so um you know i mean there's uh you know it's kind of funny i just, it just i just thought of i guess it's um somewhere in california I'm not going to mention the politician's name. This was a very well-known politician living in a very affluent area. And they're raising, I think they raised like a hundred million dollars or some, some ridiculously high amount of funding to stop the building of a homeless shelter in their neighborhood. Whoa. So you've got these politicians that are, you know, they're responsible for our policies, right? And part of that is to, you know, figure out how to deal with the homeless situation. And it's just getting worse. It's not getting better. And yet they won't, they won't allow one of those facilities to be built in their own neighborhood. I mean, not a surprise, right? Because they live in probably a real posh neighborhood and, you know, those people aren't going to want to see a, a homeless shelter built in, in the middle of that. But it's it's kind of hypocritical because they're they're supposed to be taking care of these things. But that's that's the problem. I mean, you know, just here in Southern California along the um, – it's the 57 freeway was Tent City. I remember, you know, years ago there was – what was a single tent there? And then uh, as recently, was it about a year ago before they were forced to move out? It was literally about two, three miles of tents, uh, blue covered tents, tarps. And, and yeah, it was, that was recently a city. Now, I, I don't know what the makeup of the, of the population there was, whether they're people that didn't have enough you know, retirement income or if they were you know, just troubled people that were you know, having drug addiction issues or whatever. But um, these kinds of things are just becoming more of a more of a problem. LA had um, some kind of a bacterial or viral outbreak in downtown LA. You couldn't be going down the streets of downtown LA without fear of getting, you know, contracting some some illness that you know supposedly had been eradicated for at least a century. You know, these things are just getting worse and worse and worse. So. I don't know what the education system is doing, but people are not being taught the things. So, no, there's a big issue. I mean, you look at it, that is lack of education. If we've ever experienced that 150 million people that are employed in the United States and only 54 million people are contributing to some sort of retirement plan. I got to tell you, that's a major fail. That's a major fail. And and you as citizens out there should be really upset um, that you're going to, you know, if you're the responsible one out of the three people that you've got to support the needs of two other people who you have no idea who they are, but you're going to have to support them. That should infuriate you. It really should. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, if you're going down the freeway with your kids and their kids understand math uh, and they, you know, and they, they, they understand you, you ought to be able to have a conversation at some point before they're too much older where you teach them the rule 72. And I'm not, I don't know if I should explain that here, but I explain it as well. You said it. Okay. (laughs) So I'll I'll give you an example. Caitlin, my daughter is 17. She loves to golf. But years ago, you know, I started teaching her the rule 72. Why? Because I think the rule 72 is one of the most basic elements of money or or, uh, I, I would say the rules of money that if everyone could understand that we would have significantly lesser issues with um, homelessness, with preparation for retirement, if kids could just simply understand this rule. Rule 72 is simply this. Take an interest rate and divide it into the number 72. The result is the number of years it takes for money to double at that interest rate. For example, if you can earn money at 10% and divide that into 72, the result is approximately 
Seven, which is the number of years that it takes for money to double at a 10% rate. So let's just say you've got a kid at 30 years old. That's not really a kid, but I guess relative to my age, it would be. <laughs> so you got a kid or an adult at 30 years of age. Again, it's also a function of their, their maturity, right, Sam? But um, <laughs> I'm so a big anyways, kid. So you've got a kid that has 100000 by the age of 30, wants to retire at the age of 60. And let's just say that kid applies to Rule 72, knows that he, he or she can double that money from the age of 30, starting with 100000 every seven years, and he's got, he or she's got 30 years to retire. Then in 30 years, he's, she's got, he or she's got, what, seven times four. So at least four, four chances to double that money, right, Sam? So that 100000 doubles from 100 to 200, 200 to 400, 400 to 800, and 800 to $1.6 million. So in that period of time, if I did the math right, that hundred thousand should be able to 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 grow into what I say one point six million. Yep. That's the rule of seventy two. So the whole thing is whether whether you've got a hundred thousand at the age of thirty or fifty thousand or ten thousand, you can apply the rule of seventy two. Simply do some some basic retirement planning in your head as a kid. Doesn't you don't have to be thirty years old. You could be Caitlin's age is seventeen. You could be. 12 years old because you understand math and you can understand the rule of 72. And once you get that in your head, you can do retirement planning literally in your head while you're riding a bike or, or driving a car, you have conquered something that is very, very significant in terms of financial knowledge and literacy that can make a big difference in your long-term life. And you push that knowledge down to your kids and their kids and, and we can solve a lot of problems in this country. Believe me, that rule of 72 is very important. And we're going to potentially solve future problems. You know, that's the that's the big thing is that we just don't know what we have in store over the course of the next 30, 40 years. You know, especially because you got to remember something. We don't work forever. And yeah, albeit, the, you know, the the advancement in modern medicine is is allowing people to to live longer. And by a byproduct of that is it allows them to work longer too. And I think that, you know, everyone knows, you know, the, the, the powers that be understand that they need these people to work a little bit longer. They need them to start retiring around 72, 73, 74, and they got to take care of themselves better because they know very well that they don't necessarily have the fundage to take care of them, their own selves um, the in the later years. The like fundage, it. the fundage. But yeah, you know, so so of the 60 to 79-year-olds in this survey, okay, that, that this group, but the people that did save money, believe it or not, 59% wish they saved more money of the people that saved money. So 60%, so 40% are pretty happy with where they are as how much money they save. So that seems like it's pretty good. But more than half of them wish that they saved a lot more. But you know what's really interesting in, the, in, in one of the answers is that four out of five of the, in this group that was surveyed, four out of five were concerned about meeting retirement needs and running out of money. Can you imagine the stress that you would have in the final one third of your life between the ages of 60 to whenever to 90 that you're living the, the last 30, 35, 40 years of your life with this concern that you're afraid of meeting your retirement needs and running out of money? I mean, can you imagine that? Well, I, I don't think it's... I mean, it's hard to imagine it, but it's not hard to imagine it because a majority of the retirement population is experiencing that, sadly to say. Yeah. Happening. Yeah. So you're waking up, think about it, ladies and gentlemen, listening to the podcast here. You're waking up one day and you, you, uh, the, the, the best time of your life was that eight hours of sleep because you didn't have any worries. <laughs> and then you wake up only to realize, dude, I, I don't know if I can go ahead and go outside and, you know, my grandkids are coming over and 
or I got to go to my grandkids. My, my oldest grandkids going to have a wedding and I got to try to figure out if I'm going to get there on the Greyhound or if I'm going to hitchhike. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a good scenario. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, 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 you know, we're making light of it, but that those are the stress level and the types of decisions that uh, many, many um, seniors that are ill-prepared are making on a daily and sometimes hourly basis. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's even a more amazing. So again, you know, you all know, I mean, I, I love demographics. I, I like the fact that um, it's pretty predictable. It allows for predictability and growth and, uh, and many, many other things. And, you know, the, the amazing part about, about demographics is that it, um, it like I, I think I just said it, allows for, for, <laughs> for, for predictability. But um, the survey shows that in 2035, 2035, there will be about 78 million Americans that will be over the age of 65 in 2035. So considering that there's about 310 million Americans in the United States right now, total, 310 million, and roughly 78 million in 2035, call it 80 million people will be past the age of 65. You're gonna pretty much see a tremendous amount of individuals, roughly one third of the population, is going to be gamely out of the spending bracket. They're not going to be spending like they used to. Because just, I mean, let's face it. I mean, when you're 65, you're 70, 75 years old, you're no longer buying a brand new car every five years. You're no longer sending your kids necessarily to college. At least I hope not. You're no longer looking to go and upgrade to the house of your dreams and, and taking on that six hundred and $700,000 mortgage. You're not necessarily buying wine every weekend to go ahead and splurge and enjoy, you know, with your spouse or, or any, any friends that come over on the weekends. You're, you're retiring. And as a result, you're living in a retired lifestyle. And that retired lifestyle doesn't necessarily allow you, I can't say allow you, but just naturally, you, you don't necessarily are spending the same amount of money that you were spending when you're in your mid-40s. So it's, it's an epidemic that we constantly talk to people about, you know, in the great American retirement crisis is it's this, this potential epidemic that we have as a society that not only are we in a position where in the future, in the near future, we're going to have one, roughly one third of the population past the age of 65 and meaning that they're not going to be spending like they used to, but we're also going to be in this position where you take the 150 million workers that we have right now with only 54 million people that set aside money for retirement of some sort, it really kind of creates the perfect storm. And it's something that really needs to be addressed more. And I'd like to see this as a significant topic and, you know, going forward in a lot of forums because it's just not being discussed enough. You know, as it is right now is, is I can understand why it's not being discussed enough. And that's because if we discuss this more and it becomes viral and, and people start recognizing that they are in financial trouble, they just might cause they might end up not spending any money and they might start saving money. And what happens right, when you start right. saving money? Well, what happens yeah, is that corporations yeah. don't receive revenue. Right. You turn into Japan. I mean, Japan's a nation of savers plus they have a negative birth rate. So yeah, they're not having, not there's not enough kids. Here. Yeah, they're, they're not spending enough and they're eliminating the number of spenders. So you got a really difficult economy over there. So the politicians yeah. don't want us to uh, necessarily, you know, turn into a, a nation of savers. Yeah, it's a tough thing. But, um, you know, the reality is we got, we got the problem. <laughs> we got homelessness uh, on the rise and it ain't going to get better. No, no. So it's, it's, um, it's something that, that that's what we're, you know, in, in our workshops and, and in, in our, in our face-to-face meetings and these podcasts and, 
you know, we, we want to reach out and tell people that there is something on the horizon. It's a storm and it's brewing and you have a choice to prepare for that storm because you still have time. But for the people that don't have time, I mean, man, and we see them all the time because we see people that don't have time. And even the people that do have time and they've already won the game, man, you know, for the people that have already won the game, somehow, somehow they've managed to take that seven figure amount and they drive it down to nothing. Well, you know, we, it might be a little random here, but I got to put this out there, Sam. One of the killers of a successful retirement is the refusal to understand that you can't afford that home anymore. This is a typical thing. Oh, I can't, I can't, I just can't leave this home. You know, there's all these memories of the children growing up here and, you know, in this, this 4,000 square foot home, you know, I know it's kind of big, but we just can't leave it. And all there is, is basically you and the spouse living there and you've got five bedrooms and you've got this massive home and uh, the kids rarely visit and you're still paying off this mortgage, which is running you, you know, 4,000 a month. And there's no need for that. And, and, you know, if now if you're sitting on $10 million in retirement assets, not a big deal. But sometimes people that, you know, they just don't have the affordability in the retirement to justify keeping that home and you need to downsize. But that, that just doesn't happen. People are really stubborn about, you know, keeping the sentiment. So it's just one of those things. I had to throw that out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's one of these where it happens, man, we would have so much, we'd be, you know, trillionaires, man, if, you know, for all these stories that we talk about that we experience, because that's what we see. We see, we experience it on a regular basis, just, you know, individuals making bad choices on a regular basis. But you know what, as we keep telling people, it's not their fault. It's not their fault. 100% not their fault. It's a percentage their fault because they still act on the choice. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they're they're not totally uh, blamed for it, but there is some responsibility because you, you can't just keep making the same mistakes over and over. Especially if you listen to the show, and we're telling you you got to make some sound money decisions, and you don't, you know, now it becomes your responsibility, and you are going to be held accountable not by us, but you'll be ha- held accountable by the fact that you're saying, "Oh, dude, uh, you know, we we can't, we got, we're being evicted from our apartment, or we're we're you know our house got repossessed and um and now we're looking to you know put up a blue colored tent along the 57 freeway that's that's you know that's going to be be on you if you guys don't make the right decision to get things going in the right direction yeah in the right direction because it's it, it becomes a it becomes an a a a an issue not only just now but it you know it 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 sustains itself and it it passes on through generation after generation because our children uh, they see what's going on and they, they learn from, you know, you'd like to think they learn from our mistakes or lack of, but there's one thing that I remember from working with a guy years and years and years ago, really smart dude, man. This guy was like a guru, you know, Asian dude, man, Asian guy, Taiwanese. And he, he would say all these really cool, like Confucius type things. Right. I mean, but the guy was young. He was young. He was, he wasn't, you know, the fat little round ball guy. Was it about walking on rice paper and when you're ready. Like stealing the rock from his hand. No, he tried that with me one time, and I stole the <laughs> rock from his hand without a problem. That's how fast I was. <laughs> but you know what? Here, here's really, here's really what it boils down to. He said, "It's okay to be wrong, but it's not okay to stay wrong." And that's our word, you know, out there today is is that you know you we all know what we're doing wrong. Every single one of us does, and it's okay. It's not our fault. But at the same time, it's not okay for us to remain wrong. And so, 
we all understand our shortcomings that that come about and you know i gotta tell you sometimes it's some it's something that we we didn't necessarily have control over in other words maybe somebody did something to us that ultimately affected us and and i i get it i get it and uh, that spiral of effect that momentum that kept us down this path after a while it becomes a choice to stay down that path and it's okay it's okay just you know, you just you have to identify that it's not okay to continue down that, that, that path. And that, that, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this, just remember 150 million of you guys are working and only 54 million of you have money saved aside for retirement. And I don't even know how much money saved. I'm, they're, they're just saying that they have at least a thousand bucks. You know, the 54 million people of the 150 only, have, I mean, it, it could be a thousand, it could be two, 200,000, it could be, you know, 50 cents. I don't know what it is. But, anyways, you know, once again, we're, we're listening and we're hearing the call of the open road. And uh, again, this is the most exciting hour in uh, podcast history. Should I say the most exciting 30 minutes in podcast history, right, Coach? Absolutely. I'm excited. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to podcasting with you the next time. And uh, I think this is, uh, this is the time. You so. guys sound excited. That's all that matters. You, you sound excited. And I'll tell you what, the, uh, I love that statement. It's okay to be wrong. It's not okay to stay wrong. And uh, if I had gotten that fortune cookie when I was younger, I probably would have learned a lot more than I have in the, in the past 10 years. But now, listening to you guys, I'm learning a ton. So thank you guys so much for your time again. Ah, uh, Well, thank you thank so you. much. I appreciate it. And till next time. All right. Until next time. And thank you all for listening to the Financial Liberty Project podcast with Sam Legaspi and Ko Sukimoto. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, shame on you, because it's right there. There's a button. Just click it. Subscribe now. This way, when Sam and Coast come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This will make it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at the Financial Liberty Project, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. It's that time again where the call of the open road makes its way. We hope good fortune finds you on your own personal road. And until next time, we thank you for listening to the Financial Liberty Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available.